to the clinical podcast series brought to you by the American Academy of Optometry's Foundation. Today's topic for the podcast is the limited value of prior change in predicting future progression of juvenile onset myopia. I'd like to thank our topical editor and host today, Dr. Mika Moy, and our topical expert, Dr. Jeff Walline. And now it's my pleasure to begin today's podcast. Okay, welcome to the American Academy of Optometry Foundation's clinical podcast series. In this episode, we're talking about predicting myopia progression. I'm Dr. Mika Moy, and our guest expert for this episode is Dr. Jeff Walline. Dr. Walline is the Associate Dean for Research at The Ohio State University College of Optometry, where his own research interests center around myopia. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So this article is titled, The Limited Value of Prior Change in Predicting Future Progression of Juvenile Onset Myopia, and it's by Don Moody and his colleagues, and it's published in the Academy's own Journal of Optometry and Vision Science. This sounds like a downer of a title. We can't predict the future, but Jeff, let us know a little bit more. What hypothesis did they want to explore in this paper? Yeah, I, I think the reason that they're taking a look at these questions is um, clinicians tend to base whether or not they should provide myopia control for patients on whether or not they've progressed in the past year. And uh, some studies are actually looking at limiting the people who can get into a study to just those who progressed over the past year. So the purpose of this particular paper was to see if we really can make those predictions if they're, and if they mean anything ultimately. That seems like a very worthwhile topic. So what did they find? Yeah, basically what they found is that prior myopia progression or prior axial elongation do not predict future myopia progression or axial elongation. And that's a really important finding because it's it's basically what people are using to try and get either faster progressing myopes in studies or to decide who they should provide myopia control for. What they actually found was that better predictors of myopia progression are just the age of the subject, the race or ethnicity of the subjects, and basically just what their refractive error is or what their eye length is, not just the change over time. So there are actually better ways. And then other people talk about, well, maybe you should include parental myopia in that. And they found that's not a factor in terms of prediction at all. Maybe you should look at outdoor time or near work. And they found that those aren't predictors at all either. So, you know, I think they found a lot of surprising things to a lot of clinicians and even scientists, um, but things that I think are really necessary to improve our patient care. You know, as I was reading this paper myself, I kept kind of getting sadder and sadder because I was like, I, you know, I'm with you. I see it from a clinician's perspective, right? And I know as I'm chatting with my buddies and we're sort of trying to pick out like, what should we do with this patient or what patients would I be more concerned about or what patients should I recommend myopia control to. And I kept looking at this saying, oh, I need to change how I practice by just looking at this at this paper. Yeah. Um, is it also going to change maybe how people do research? Um, I think it might because there have been a few studies who have limited the people who can get into myopia control to just those fast progressors. And part of the reason they do that is they expect to get a bigger treatment effect because if you're if you try to slow the progression of somebody who isn't progressing naturally, there's no way you can do anything about it. So that actually dilutes your treatment effect. So 
this goes to show that that's not what we should do. And actually, probably the costs of looking for fast progressors is higher than the costs of just getting enough people to have fast progressors if you just look at all myopes. And so I think really for even for research, it was an important finding. Okay, so let me ask you a loaded question then. So should I as a clinician just decide to treat all my young myopes with myopia control? Because I I, I can't predict which ones are going to take off and which ones are going to stay low. Is, is that how I should change my strategy? Yeah, I really think so. And I, and I think that's because, A, we aren't very good at predicting who's going to progress rapidly over the next year. Even with um, a lot of data that we have, we still can't um, do a good job of it, and especially not for an individual. And second, the side effects of myopia control are really minimal, and a lot of it provides optical correction anyway. So because the side effects are low um, and the costs are relatively low, um, you know, why not just provide it to all young myopes? Um, and even, you know, most, and then that way everybody will benefit who can get a benefit from it. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? It's going to yeah. change some minds, I think, this paper about how we should approach um, myopia control in our patients and I guess in also our research. So, yeah, and it makes practice easier too. If we just treat all young myopes, and I think we'll be doing our patients a better service, and it makes practice a little bit more simple. Well, let's end on that. Let's make everyone's life a little bit more simple. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Walleen. And if this article has sparked your interest, you can read it in the Academy's journal, Optometry and Vision Science. Thanks a lot. Thank you. And a special thanks to CooperVision for their educational grant to make it all happen.